Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Tucker Carlson with a 100% more bloviating speech. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naima Raza. You called it. I called it. After Tucker's first hostage video, you called that he would be doing something with Twitter. Yes, and here he is. Well, allegedly, I think he's in fights with Fox, it looks like. And so he's saying he's going to do a show on Twitter and just be just another creator, says Elon Musk, which I also don't believe very much. Yeah, there is no economic deal as of yet, says Elon. Let's keep that comma. Some people may not know what we're talking about if they haven't seen the hostage video. So maybe we should play a clip of it. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. No, they don't. Yes, if you are racist enough for long enough, you ultimately have to get off your things. Whatever. He's so irritating. The freedom to tell the fullest truth you can, unless you can tell elaborate lies that make you more money, and then we see your truth in text later. So ridiculous. He's such a grievance grifter. It's such a (laughs) grievance grift. It's such a grift. Look, I see why people like it, but honestly, I think it's going to be less impactful on Twitter. It just Mm. is. It's just is. YouTube, I wondered if he could do it on YouTube. That would be more important for him, I think. Instagram probably wouldn't tolerate it for very long. They don't want to be in that business, I don't think. You know, the whole... all of social media is dissipating in some weird way or, or fracturing in a really interesting way. And everyone's going multi-platform. And so we'll see if he has a real pull here. It makes money. Certainly not going to attract advertising. Maybe maybe subscriptions, I guess. I don't know. It could be lucrative, but it's small. It also keeps his audience warm, which has a value yeah. in and of itself, regardless of the... He may not be able to do it because he I know. hasn't gotten out of his contract. He's trying to twist the narrative here. He's implying that his firing was about his truth-telling in that sentence, right? And earlier in the day, he had accused Fox of fraud and breach of contract. His letter had alleged that Fox broke an agreement to not leak his private communications or use his text to, quote, take any adverse employment action against him. Blah, 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 blah. He is a very good lawyer who this is what they do. Honestly, it feels desperate. 
It feels like he's trying to poke them. I don't think they care. I think they're just going to find another Tucker Carlson and they'll move on. We'll see what happens. He's on a collision course with Rupert Murdoch, which I wouldn't want to be going up against him. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be going against him. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch is always the winner. Unless you're a Dominion. They'll find a newer, younger one. I'm sorry, Tucker, you're too old. Like, seriously, they'll find someone else. Actually, he was he was very popular in a young demographic, extremely yeah. popular, I yeah, think, number one someone. in the young demographic. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think the economics of the deal are? I mean, Dylan Dear, Byers at Puck reported that Tucker will forego $25 million from Fox yeah, in order to reason. launch this new show. I mean, Elon could pay out the, the breach yeah. cost. Yeah, he could pay it out to get it to attract the creator. He could, they could do a revenue split if they have advertising. They might have my pillow guy come in for twenty million. I don't know. Oh yeah, um, or or merch. There'll be merch. There'll be Tucker merch. We'll um, have to get you that Tucker Carlson <laughs> jumpsuit. <laughs> he could piece together something and then have some TV deal with Newsmax or whatever. He could piece together something, but it's it's tiring to piece this stuff together. It's very easy to be a network big wig and get the 25 million just delivered to your home, to your home in Maine. You said that social media is dissipating. What do you mean? You can feel the emptiness of Twitter much more. I, Amanda was just saying to me that last night, and I agree with her. It's just people are going, are in lots of places now, um, wh wherever they may be. That ubiquity was always not the case, like but not for a certain category of people. Twitter would be the first place where they're breaking something or sharing something. Yeah, it's just, I feel like the people are going to be using it a lot less and that there's other ways of communicating. I don't know. I think it's still where the conversation around AI is happening, which is definitely the cutting edge conversation. And that is happening on Twitter. That's where Hinton is clarifying his comments to the New York Times. That's where Sam is talking about what he's thinking about in terms of venture capital. It's it's still going to be a primary place for a certain type of people for right now, tech and tech and politics. It's still a small business. It's still, you know, it's just a news breaking place. But it's the, it's the financials of it. Where are they going to make money? Keeps promising more and more products that aren't coming. What did he just promise? Audio. That was an old thing. Twitter yeah. tried, didn't work. Longer video. I mean, I think it's a good thing, ubiquity and platforms, not, no platform being too powerful. And I hope it, Twitter stays a place where people disagree, because that's actually what I like about Twitter, is seeing two people kind of go back and forth. Free speech, blah, blah, blah. This is like an ad for Twitter, by the way. Tucker is like, there are no places left for free speech, oh, except for one in the whole Give wide world, and it's Elon's backyard. Anyways, Tucker may detest Trump, as we learn in the text, but the two of them and Elon share a soapbox on this idea of free speech, which is ironic because they all they do is speak freely. They, As you say, never shut up. They don't just speak freely. They say terrible things, and that's what they want an excuse for saying terrible things over and over and over again. And that's fine. They can do it, but they have to stop pretending they're defenders of anything but their shitty words. That's all. But this desire to sow distrust in the press has always been a characteristic of powerful people, including, of course, former President Nixon. Yeah. And that's relevant to our guests today who have gifted us the new HBO series, White House Plumbers, mm -hmm. uh, which revisits Watergate. We'll bring on writers Alex Gregory and Peter Hike, as well as series director Dave Mandel. They're part of a gaggle of brilliant people, including folks like Frank Rich, who made this show and also made Veep. And you know Dave Mandel well, right? I do. I think he's one of the smartest. Uh, he just creates great shows. He's always involved with great shows. And so very funny, too. I went to the screening in D.C., which you had to miss, but it was surreal because I was sitting next to Bob Woodward and his wife, uh, journalist Elsa Walsh. I was kind of watching them as much as I was watching the TV show, I have to say. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of Watergate people were there, right? <laughs> yeah. Sally Quinn there, too. Sally Quinn was Sally there. Was there yeah. It was the wife of Ben Bradley and also a great reporter herself. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it really did begin, you're right, with it, Spiro Agnew 
really. Yes, the vice president. And then Nixon. And they just had such a disdain for the press. It was a vicious disdain. It started that idea of the press being suspect. And of course, the press took them right down in the end. Which was shocking because the number of editorials, I think it was above 80 percent of the nation's editorials supported Nixon in both his campaigns, not the one against Kennedy. And I think that's where his kind of grudge started. Yeah, he wasn't pretty enough. Well, yeah, he wasn't charming and dapper enough. But you've spent a lot of times in power centers like Silicon Valley, New York City, et cetera, so have I. I think D.C. is different. When we were watching this, Dave Mendel compared it to the New York screening where everyone was laughing out loud, and he said Mm -hmm. the show was a little bit like a giggle in a funeral. And that's exactly how the D.C. (laughs) one felt. Like, Anytime someone laughed, it's it's like there's so much scandal in D.C., and yet everyone is so shocked and scandalized by scandal. New York is a lot of fun. (laughs) D.C. is not a lot of fun, I have to say. (laughs) They don't have a sense of humor as much as as those elsewhere. And, you know, I think this is a send-up. At the same time, it's based on really real stuff that actually happened, so it seems ridiculous. They used uh, real material, spent a lot of time with individuals involved. They had a wealth of real information, which you ask him about what's real, what's not. We'll find much of it is real. And it must have been surreal for them making this because this was the low point in American scandal. But do you think that Trump has moved kind of Watergate into second position or 20th position? Trump is the worst thing that's ever happened in terms of scandals. And it just, but it doesn't, we've had, we've had an ability to now, before we were shocked and horrified and everybody was united and now everyone's got a take on you know, well, he wasn't convicted of rape like today. He was convicted of, you know, sexual Found liable assault. For in a civil case, not convicted. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> I know it doesn't make it any better. Yeah, it uh, but no, I think it's funny when people are like, "Oh, he's being he's being persecuted. This is all like he's being hunted." There are so many charges against this man and against his company. His company has found, been found guilty of criminal fraud in you know many cases. He's been impeached twice, quitted both times, but that's politics. And Mm -hmm. he's facing criminal charges for falsifying business records, the hush money, Stormy Daniels case in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. There's two ongoing criminal investigations, one in Georgia, one by the Justice Department special counsel. He has a $250 million civil fraud suit being brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. And then there's the civil case. And then again, Mm -hmm. the Trump organization is found guilty on 17 counts of tax fraud and other crimes. How do people look at this and say there's no pattern? I don't know. That's, I have no idea. I, I, you know, that's where we are. I mean, it's a real shift from Watergate, where everyone was sort of the, you know, politics has always been dirty, but you go, it was a very big event for people to be sort of who really believe in the government to see this kind of petty thievery and cheating and uh, lying and everything else. Um, and I think people have just gotten immune to it at this point. I mean, honestly, I think there's a lot to be said about him talking about shooting someone walking down Fifth Avenue. I think people are tolerant of his behavior because they have to believe in in him or believe that there's not him, they believe that people are out to get people like him and them. And it's a sad, it's sad. This amount of scandal and the amount of scandal we're seeing in the country and you know, the revelations everywhere from Trump to Supreme Court to George Santos are part of the reason we wanted to speak to our guests today, because in revisiting Watergate, they're revisiting kind of Scandal 1.0 and the beginning or the blossoming of the fissure between parties. Absolutely. In the modern age, there have been scandals before in presidential politics, but... But there's more scrutiny now. Yes. And I think this, it was, it was, it was modern political scandal 1.0. And I think it's good to look at it because it has so much, so much resonance and it keeps coming in some ways and had a real impact on how we think about politics. 
100%. And looking forward to talk about the scandals with these three. Um, one note, we taped this before the WGA strike uh, on the eve of it, so we didn't get into it. And our guests were not yet on strike at that point. Yeah. But let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with White House Plumbers writers Peter Hike and Alex Gregory, as well as director Dave Mandel. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Okay, Dave, I'm going to start with you. You and I have spoke before a lot yep. when you were EP and director on Veep, and the three of you worked on that show together. I know there are other folks from Veep involved with this show too, like Frank Rich. Explain how you got linked up and why this group of people came together. Um, I actually blame the two guys. Uh, I blame mm -hmm. them. Uh, basically, this was something they started working on uh, at the back end of Veep. You know, they were already mm -hmm. sort of thinking about the next thing. Um, and I really came in, I'm sort of almost like the late arrival. I came in after the fact where they kind of put it together, uh, got it to HBO with Woody and Justin attached. And that's when I joined. I actually initially joined, uh, how does one say it, just to lend a hand. Uh, basically, uh, a mini room, which uh, of course we'll mm -hmm. be striking about. Yes, but, uh, it was a, things, yeah, it was yeah. a mini room. Um, although I was under a deal, so I was not being exploited, I guess. I'm not sure. Maybe I was being exploited. But anyway, uh, a mini room to kind of just help out uh, as a favor. Uh, and somehow at the end of like a week or two, somehow I was the director of this thing. 
So, Alex, do you see White House plumbers as having a similar tone? How did you think of it at first? Well, it, it's interesting. We, we the, the three of us, had a lot of conversations about tone, and we specifically went into it, agreed that it was not going to be Veep. Mm-hmm. Um, Veep is its own animal and lives in its own space. And because this was a historical thing, we wanted it to have its own tone. And also, we wanted it to be a tonal departure just for the three of us to try something new. Um, and so Dave had said the magic two words, which was boogie nights when we were talking about oh, him yeah. directing uh-huh. and that to us was a great tonal touchstone because it has farcical elements and it has legitimately tragic elements and they all occupy the same ecosystem without bumping each other. And the truth is with this show, the actual historical events are farcical and to do them justice, you have to acknowledge that you have grown men in wigs with air pistols, breaking in a psychiatrist's office, mm-hmm. scattering drugs and pretending it's a junkie. Like everything listening to Hitler, in, listening to Hitler, yeah, I mean, listening yeah, to Hitler as one does, but go ahead. It, there, so it was so incompetent and so ludicrous that you have to channel the farts. And at the same time, the consequences for these people and the country, mm-hmm. very real and very damaging. And so it was a delicate dance. And so when we we started talking to Dave about it, we all really clicked that it was not going to be Veep, but at the same time, it was going to be played straight with the intent that parts of it would be funny. Peter, most people do, as I was saying, think of Watergate as a terrible scandal and in pretty negative terms. And most of the movies have been portentous and Ugh, these people, and not as a bunch of fucking idiots. I mean, which I think they were in lots of ways. Um, and a, definitely, until recently, a low point of American democracy. Talk about the idea of in- injecting satire into you, because it's seen as this, they, these geniuses almost got away with it, when in fact, none of them were geniuses. That, for us, was the most surprising thing. The more research we all did, the more we learned just how incompetent they were, just how inept and bumbling. And just the reality they'd broken four different times before they were caught. Um, so if they had actually planted functional bugs on the third break-in, none of us would even know Watergate had ever happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just the depths of the ineptitude, and part of it also just came down to budget cuts, that mm-hmm. they had had a million-dollar budget originally, and then it was pulled down to half a million, then a quarter million. So they kept using this group of Cubans who worked for free, and they had to work with substandard equipment and walkie-talkies and bugs. So if they'd had the full budget, none of this would have happened either, I think. Right. You know, the scenes where they have the sort of bad wigs or he doesn't have the tools to open up the the, the things. These are real to life that they were – they kind of messed up. Completely. Car, that's the big difference – On Veep, we wrote jokes. We wrote jokes. That was Mm -hmm. our job. We wrote very elaborate jokes, long jokes that no human would ever say. In this, we never had to write jokes. We we purposely didn't write jokes. Anything that seemed like a joke left us Mm -hmm. because the facts, the fact that one of them wore a Prince Valiant-like wig and the other one, what was the description? Uh, Howdy doody. Howdy doody, Mm -hmm. yeah. A howdy doody-like wig. Those are not not jokes. Those are not made up. Those are facts that happen to be very strange and very funny. And that was the world we were traveling in. Speaking of facts uh, and low points in American democracy, when we have a former president facing indictment, who is also, when you start to hear from people in the White House, incompetent, like 
some guy carrying a box of top secret documents to a like a basement at Mar-a-Lago or whatever the different things. Does Trump have a layer in here when you were thinking of directing it? And then both of you, when you were thinking about writing it, Dave, why don't you start? Um, absolutely. As we were doing this, as we were starting this, it's, you know, whatever, three and a half years ago. So at that mm -hmm. point, it's been one impeachment hearing, uh, if, if memory <laughs> serves, we're not quite up to the second. But still, you you couldn't help but draw those comparisons. And there are definitely places, and they, they always come to mind, especially, number one, anytime the guys are talking about the Democrats, that's sort of labeling them mm -hmm. as un-American, the enemy, it's just the absolute, the, the other is just horrific and horrendous. The war on the press, all of those things are kind of there. And we always sort of talked about it as like ringing the bell. We're going to ring it a little bit, but we don't want to ring it too hard. We never want to say something Trump would say, but it's all in there and it's what we were thinking about. And then I'll go one step further. You can't look at these guys without thinking about the Rudy Giuliani's and the Michael Cohn's, mm -hmm. all these true believers that just went all in on Trump that he could care right. less about, that he thinks are idiots. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think much of Rudy Giuliani right. or Sidney what's her name, but they're, they are Powell. cogs that serve his, yes, sorry, Powell, that serve his purpose. And that notion of the true believers, um, both in terms of them just being true believers, but also the, not that I care about Rudy Giuliani, but the, that the price that they pay when they start to realize, oh my God, this guy doesn't care about me. It was on our minds a lot. Right. So Alex, I mean, it's sort of extremists looking for glory, right? These extremists looking for another glory because they've been sort of washed up several times. Absolutely. From one angle, it's like a shaggy dog story of these two guys trying to claw their way back to the top. Mm -hmm. But as Dave said, it's like Nixon, the current Republican Party has its roots in the Nixon administration. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Agnew was the first guy to go, oh, you accused us of a fact. I'm going to attack the press's liberal bias. So that that's where all that started. And like Liddy was basically MAGA 1.0. 100%. That sort of like unwavering proto-fascism is he's the guy he's the template for every person that like marched on the capitol thinking they were saving the country we definitely uh wanted to as dave said touch the bell without ringing it but liddy says if all we've done is is erode the average person's faith in government we've won and in effect the fallout from watergate is Every time the Republicans would say government doesn't work, government's a fraud, drain the swamp, it was because of the things they did in Watergate. Right. No, 100%. They're not, it's not even ironic. They're not even trying to be ironic. It's poetic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, now, um, Peter, you optioned the memoir of Bud Krogh. Uh, he was the White House official who was the head of it, right? He had to say, I'm the head of it, who assembled the plumbers and authorized 1971 break-in into Daniel Ellsberg's uh, psychiatrist's office. How much did you draw from the book itself, or was it just a jumping off point? Because I don't think he comes off particularly well myself, you know? Yes. Our original connection to Bud Krogh was through uh, Dave Burnett, our producer who generated the project, because his father's a neurologist in Washington, D.C., and Bud Krogh was a patient of his. Oh, all right. Okay. And so he kept calling Dave, and Dave produces 
you know, White Lotus and a lot of other shows. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've got a show idea. You've got to talk to this guy, Bud Krogh. He's got amazing Watergate stories. Mm-hmm. And Dave would say, I, I don't think there's a Watergate show to be done, Dad. And he said, just sit with this guy. He's in the hospital, but he's fascinating. And so Dave went in and sat with him and heard all these amazing Watergate stories. And Bud was very earnest. And he told them very straight. And Dave started laughing. And he said, I can't believe no one's told these stories yet. So that was kind of where he originated the project. So he actually optioned the book. And so that was how Bud got involved. So his book was more of a jumping off point. Bud was a guy that really actually did, in the end, regret his involvement. He did. He refused a plea deal. He did his time. And in the end, he actually apologized uh, to both Fielding and to Ellsberg. And he ended up being friends with Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so of all the characters in this mess, I think to us, Mm -hmm. he was the one who seemed to have the most genuine remorse and to have an actual soul at the end of the day. Right, right. Alex, talk about this. At some points, it's hard to believe certain things happen that way, right? <laughs> now, I have actually met Liddy. I met him through his son, Tom, when I worked at the McLaughlin Group a, a hundred years ago, but it, he was a lot like his father. Um, but he was a he was comic character even then. But the, the real heart of the series, uh, Dave, is the relationship between the two characters, uh, G. Gordon Liddy, played by Justin Theroux, and E. Howard Hunt, I remember that, played by Woody Harrelson. Um, they are plumbers. Well, explain the plumbing. They started off to fix a leak. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to the Pentagon Papers. It all goes back to Daniel Ellsberg. They were, Nixon lost his mind over the Pentagon Papers, even though on some level- Explain for uh, those who don't know what they are with the Pentagon. It was basically, it was a report that Robert McNamara, who had been the Secretary of Defense, had basically asked to be prepared, that basically analyzed the war from the beginning. And it showed consistently back into Kennedy's time that this was an unwinnable war that they had constantly- Uh, Mm -hmm. both expanded the scope of and basically lied to the American people about. And it all started, it poured out first uh, in the New York Times, later the Washington Post joined in. And basically it is those, that, that giant leak, but all the leaks and the sense from the Nixon people and Nixon that Ellsberg was spy, a degenerate, a communist, all these things, that right. the, the idea of how we're going to stop these guys is how the initial punch card that uh, Bud Krogh is given to sort of assemble, to leads to SIU, SIU leads to the break-in of uh, Ellsberg psychiatrist's office, and that, and the quote-unquote success, which wasn't even really a success, eventually leads to Watergate. Right, right. So it's all part of it. And, and so the relationship uh, is more um, Keystone Cops than James Bond. This is uh, episode one, not long after Liddy and Hunt were brought in to work on what was officially called the Special Investigations Unit after the Pentagon Papers had been leaked by Ellsberg. Let's play the clip. So I guess it's just you and me against the entire radical left. <sighs> Sisyphus had it easy. If you and I are the guys that nail Ellsberg... Nixon will love us. And by extension, Project Odessa. Odessa? Oh, yeah, new name for SIU. Odessa is the secret network that helped the SS officers get to South America. And how exactly does that relate to our current national security problems? I already had the stationery made. You made stationery for covert op? Yeah, we gotta get that file from the psychiatrist fielding. What kind of an idiot Soviet agent spills his guts to a shrink? 
Alex, is this a buddy movie? There's some kind of love-hate relationship. It felt it felt like that. Oh, absolutely. We we structured it like a love story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that there these two guys are are uh, smushed together. Mm-hmm. Um, neither one wants. I'm, I'm just they, interrupting to say they literally yeah. meet cute. I mean, it, it is yeah. full on romance. There's it's a meet cute basically. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. They're they're. Put together by their boss. A technical they, term. In yeah, I mean, it, it's like Hepburn Tracy, where yeah. they they, oh, they know they hate each other. They don't want to work together. Wait a minute, I kind of like this guy. Yeah, like the yeah. cut of his jib. And then yeah. then there's this crazy romance. And by the way, that was actually something that um, Hunt's son said is when the two of them were together, they behaved like teenagers. There were like a lot of like joshing and laughing and stuff so there was this love story mm-hmm. and then at the end uh, uh Lydia tried to have him killed so it's the classic classic love story but Lydia is still the one that people tend to look at and now Davey may not have been a very good person but he as you say is an amazing character I remember thinking I met him what an idiot actually um, but he's a former FBI agent uh probably a fan of Hitler definitely a fan of Nixon uh, what what do you think motivated him? He's a real person, right? So you can't just make him into a silly. Yeah, I mean, person. one thing that stuck with me from talking to some people that knew him that and uh, didn't know Hunt but knew him was even in the later years where he was, I, I guess you know, like full on, you know, right wing radio host yelling into the mic. As ridiculous as he often seemed, it was pointed out to me he's always dangerous. And that was something mm-hmm. that was very important. Just, just to, and and I think Justin captured that a bit. Where it's you're laughing, but again, at any moment, there's that sense like, is the gun about to come out, or is he about to do something mm-hmm. really crazy? Um, in terms of who he is, I think psychologically. Um, you know, look, I think he was, you know, damaged goods. He was a kid that mm-hmm. had been bullied and picked on and has that sort of wanting to prove himself. In another way, though, which I think was really interesting, was he's a very modern character in that I think that, again, maybe connected to that same sort of, you know, I'm being ignored, I'm being bullied, that almost desire to be famous in any way, shape, or form. And much like right. sort of our modern, whatever, social media people. He would have been good on social media. Infamy is okay. I'm all right if I'm famous for whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, getting out of a limo without underwear on or whatever the Mm -hmm. equivalent Mm -hmm. of that is. You know what I mean? Like he Mm -hmm. doesn't care how he gets it. Have you done that, Dave? Is that not yet? Not yet. But thinking about it. Thinking about it. Yeah. I was trying to think (laughs) of like something really stupid. That was best I could come up (laughs) with. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't want to say I didn't want to say sex tape. So anyway, I was trying to do a better choice and I now I've worked myself into a box. But anyway, so you know, just absolutely sort of this this very modern sense of I want to be famous no matter what. And that desperation, if you will, his desperation to be something mixed with Howard Hunt's desperation to get it back because he's a bit, it's sort of a has been and a never was. And it's the desperation that is so dangerous and motivates this entire thing. So that's that's kind of, that was sort of the the approach. And the other thing I'll mm-hmm. say with Liddy, and it's one of the things that I think Justin did just incredibly well, in the course of the five episodes, and again, we we pick those spots. There's about two or three mm-hmm. spots. A big one in the third episode uh, on the bench outside the Lincoln Memorial, where just a little bit, there's a moment where he's trying to convince Hunt they got to go back in a fourth time. And he's trying to mm-hmm. talk to Howard about how, you know, I, I watch guys make fun of you and I want you to have everything back. And everything he's saying about Howard Hunt, he's talking about himself. And it's those little tiny moments that Justin kind of lets you, like, just 
just lets you just in a bit and it, just mm-hmm. enough to kind of go, oh, he is human. There, it is a performance. All those mm-hmm. things that are true about Liddy yeah, kind of me. lock into place. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what, you know, again, makes his performance so great, mm-hmm. but it's why it works. Yeah, you 100% don't have a mustache like that if you don't need people to look at you, I just in general. <laughs> now, Hunt, in the same way, he was involved, he was a former uh, CIA agent who was involved in the Bay of Pigs and retired as a disgruntled novelist, um, and he's thrilled when he gets the call to join. Peter, talk about this. It was obviously his redemption, but give us a sense of Hunt, who someone who met him in the 1950s described him as totally self-absorbed, totally immoral, and danger to himself and anyone around him. Yeah, Hunt was, that's the thing, through the 50s and 60s, and even back in World War II, a very capable, successful spy. He he was mm-hmm. the station uh, chief in Mexico City for the CIA. So he was not a, 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 an idiot his entire career. He was charged with the Bay of Pigs, and the Bay of Pigs, he accepts no responsibility for the failure of that. He blames it all on Kennedy and the Democrats mm-hmm. not providing air support, and that's what allowed yeah. Fidel to stay in power. All of his, he trained, he got very close with a lot of those Cubans, and a lot of them died on the beach that day. So he... When the Bay of Pigs went sideways, he was blamed for it. He was put out to pasture. He got this job where retired CIA agents go uh, to, to kind of write PR copy. And he just hid in his basement, wrote spy novels, and just dreamed of getting back into some sort of power. And that's why when he got this phone call from the White House to come in and mess with the Democrats, it, it was the call he'd been waiting for for 10 years. And that was really what was interesting to us was that Watergate doesn't happen if not for the Bay of Pigs. Mm-hmm. That that drive mm-hmm. to take on the Democrats and destroy them really began with Howard Hunt in 1961, 62, when he was trying to take Cuba back and the mm-hmm. Democrats allowed a communist regime to camp out off the coast of Florida. That mm-hmm. just made him mental and it stayed with him for the entire time. So he was going to do whatever it took. And that's why when he found Gordon Liddy, someone else who had the same kind of desire to just do whatever it took to take down the Democrats. It was a toxic combination. So, Jay, that, that's a true believer's idea in, in Nixon, the need to reelect him, which makes them both buffoons, but also true believers, like when they're pitching crazy ideas to disrupt the Democratic conventions. But as the scandal breaks, they become fall guys, like they all do. Do you see them as tragic figures in this sense, or just they get what they deserved? You know, I... It's like you can of, think of Giuliani the same way, or Jenna Ellis, or any, or Sidney Powell, or any of these people. It's tragic is tough because I think there's an element of sympathy that when you start to say something is tragic, and uh, yeah. you know, again, sort of watchwords from the set. I don't want you necessarily to have sympathy for them, but it's okay, mm-hmm. maybe a teeny tiny drop of empathy. So yeah, they they definitely, they take the fall. They deserve the mm-hmm. fall, but they do take mm-hmm. the fall. So I guess that mm-hmm. is the, the honest answer. But uh, the shame of both of them, and Hunt, you know, definitely, I think, has a moment or two where he actually realizes the price he paid. Liddy, in in his own insane defense, kind of gets everything he wants out of Watergate. He yeah, becomes, becomes famous. He becomes very famous for having failed. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the name G. Gordon Liddy becomes like a... 
It's like a James Bond phrase, you know, like, oh, you're going to follow me? Who are you? G. Gordon Liddy? So he gets everything he wants. He becomes the word Kleenex. Which then you translated know. into, yes. he was around all the time. You know, and just the lived it up. I mean, he's in TV shows, like, all the way to the end, popped up, you know, Miami Vice, sitcoms. I mean, mm-hmm. he would show up for the opening of a supermarket, I think. So he gets everything he wants. With Hunt... I think there's a moment or two where Hunt actually does maybe realize, oh, my God, what have I done? What are the costs to my family, my life, all of that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. And then just buries it because he has no choice. If he lives in that world, he's going to throw himself off a bridge, but he just sort of buries it himself. Um, Again, it's hard to sympathize with these guys because of what they did. We'll be back in a minute. Support for On with Kara Swisher comes from Babbel. Learning a new language doesn't just give you dozens of new ways to swear. Studies show that people who learn new languages develop better memories and get more comfortable solving difficult problems. In turn, confidence improves and perspectives open, allowing for more flexibility no matter what life brings to the table. If you're ready to make a new language part of your routine, Babbel can help. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with lessons created by real people for real conversations. Babbel doesn't rely on artificial intelligence to build its 10-minute lessons. Instead, they are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts focused on teaching phrases and vocabulary you'll actually need to communicate. I've used Babbel myself. I'm trying to learn Spanish since I spent four years trying to learn it in high school and then again in college. And I have to say, I'm doing a lot better with Babbel. I use it on the go when I'm traveling. It's super easy to do these 10-minute, five-minute lessons. It reminds me every day, and I do it. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash swisher. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash swisher, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash swisher. Rules and restrictions may apply. Support for this show comes from Ramp. Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara, ramp.com slash Kara, R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. We do also get to look at their home lives. Hunt's marriage uh, to a CIA agent and his desire not to engage with his own kids or be faithful to his own wife. Liddy's fidelity is kind of cookie cutter kids. Why you brought a lot of the family in. Alex, talk a little bit about why you brought the family in. As a as a father myself, uh, it was horrifying to see what he did to his family in service of Nixon. And uh, I think at a very, very, very deep level, I can think of the 
of the damage that my being a screenwriter has done to my family. <laughs> and so I think of like, you know, the zeal with which we've pursued projects to, you know, uh, the hours, the stress level, the amount of, you know, baggage I bring home. It's like, oh, good Lord, what have I done? But it also was there to show the human cost of this fanaticism. That, mm -hmm. That's really what we wanted to show is we, we needed to show that these are these are real human beings that are being hurt Mm -hmm. by this this insane devotion to an ideal and to a, a cult centered around one person. Um, and in order for it to just not be a Keystone Cops farce mm -hmm. and for it to be a cautionary tale, we really had to dramatize the family and what was going on at home. So mm -hmm. that was the choice to bring that to the forefront. Go ahead, Peter. And I think for us, from a writing standpoint, we really saw the show as a battle for the soul of Howard Hunt between mm -hmm. G. Gordon Liddy and his mm -hmm. wife Dorothy and Dorothy was very smart, probably the smartest person in our show, even, you know, in the, the, you know, Nixon tapes, you can hear John Dean saying, she's the brains of the operation. Dorothy Hunt yeah, this is, is very, Dorothy, very smart. She's played by Lena Headey. Yes. And for us, that is something that is from a structure standpoint, I think it was real having done all the research was mm -hmm. Howard was conflicted. And at times he would be drawn towards Liddy and actually perpetrating these atrocities, you know, and, and, and going extra legal. And then his wife, Dorothy, would say, what you're doing is these ideas are terrible. You shouldn't do it. And he mm -hmm. just kept getting pulled towards the dark side. And then when everything mm -hmm. goes foobar. The dumb side, yeah. The dumb side. And when everything goes sideways, he turned to his wife and he said, Dorothy, I, you know, I need your help. I, someone needs to help me blackmail the Nixon administration, distribute the hush money. And she stepped up and she really ran that operation, but she really takes over the series. And so for us, that was always mm -hmm. intentional, was to see the home life become- Which you don't know about. Yes, that's the part of the story I think most people know. And his home life, his family life, he involved his son in the cover-up in destroying mm -hmm. evidence. He involved his wife in the past. So he brought them into it. He had a very mm -hmm. conflicted relationship with them. And then you see how it plays out in, in, in his actual professional life and how it actually impacts the story because if they hadn't mm -hmm. been blackmailing the Nixon administration, maybe the story wouldn't have blown up the way that it did. So it, it those two stories really had to be intertwined. Right. So Dave, in the show and in Veep, the characters are real sad, right? It, ultimately, they're funny and everything else, but at the heart, they're empty, sad, and really venal uh, and, and feral in many ways. <laughs> Let me get mad those two. So ego, not service, is, seems to what drives them. They think it's service. Is that how you see Washington? You've had this, these two have similar tones. I think it really gets back to, and you know, I, and I do like, by the way, ego, not service. Um, it's about mm -hmm. power. It's about power mm -hmm. or the connection to power, the distance to power, who has the power. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like, you know, Robert Caro 101. Where's the, who, how do I, where's the power? How do I get the power? And that's really what it is. And I do think there are some lovely people that go to Washington, D.C. wanting to do well. Unfortunately, you know, they want to do good. They're, they're West Wing, they're Kennedy, like ask not what you can do for your country. They do exist. They're still there. Unfortunately, I think there are just a lot of people that are kind of going, well, I can be a, you know, a finance bro or I can head to D.C. and I can try and make myself look important. And I, I that's a very 
reduced version of the world. But unfortunately, it is about this. There's something about that power. You know, I don't know if it's absolute power corrupts absolutely, but mm -hmm. that taste of it, that sense of I'm more important. That you know, even the way like when Liddy sort of talks about Nixon liking a memo he wrote, like a like a small child with teacher putting a gold star yes, on it. Yeah. That sense that he is that much better than you because he was one step closer to Nixon. And he, they literally, again, back to that bench scene, they, they talk about it. Liddy says to him, you know, it's mm -hmm. about proximity to power. And right now there's no one closer to, than us. In fact, when he was saying that, there were hundreds of people closer right, than them. Right. That's the irony. But in that, in their own weird bubble, it was just right. this idea that Nixon was thinking and talking about them. And for them, that meant it all. And that that's unfortunately... That is that that insanity, that desire for power, is unfortunately I I see it in D.C. all the time. Yeah, yeah. it was on yeah. display at the White House Correspondents' Center. You know, it's hard <laughs> not to move to parody with these people. So you think Washington, Alex, Peter, you think Washington is like this from your experience? Oh God, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> the. Oh God! Liddy, yeah. Liddy actually, I think, ran the memo that he wrote in his autobiography. Like it that. There's also something sad about all these people mm -hmm. and something very empty. And there is a sadness and emptiness in a lot of people. I and blame so all their fathers. That's who I blame all their fathers. <laughs> I would say that about tech people. Yeah. And so power is just a way to validate yourself. It, it's mm -hmm. a path. It's an easy path to self-validation that doesn't require a ton of work or introspection. Yeah. It's easier just to step on someone else and go, I'm good, than to actually search within and examine your own failings and failures. Mm -hmm. So it, it it's a quick fix, and it isn't a fix. So you get more, you try to get more power, right. and uh, it keeps going. And what about you, Peter? To me, we just did this big screening of uh, White House Plumbers in D.C., and, yes. and it was fun. And we had everyone come out. It, it, it was it was Bob Woodward was there, and he loved this, the 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 episode we watched, which was the highest praise we could have gotten for the three of us. To meet Bob Woodward and to watch our show with him was about as exciting as it's going to get. But the thing that's always funny, when we're in D.C., people will come up to us and they will say, well, I, I want to talk to you about Veep because Veep is as close to our world as anyone has ever gotten. And <laughs> it's better. It's closer. It's more real than the West Wing, House of Cards. Veep is exactly right. You guys just nailed it. And so that's always very satisfying. Yeah, I love Veep. I think it's very funny. Um, I do feel bad after I watch it, though. I have to say, it's funny and bad at the same time. And I want to, I want to do a lightning round. Which Veep characters or figures in White House plumbers most like? And you can each answer. All right, starting with you, Dave. Gordon Liddy. Gordon Liddy is Dan in a very strange way. He's like Dan on steroids. I think maybe. And a little <laughs> bit Jonah when he messes things up. Oh, that's good, too. That's good, too. Yeah. If Jonah and Dan had a love child. Jonah and Dan had a love child. But yeah. let's not forget Kent Davidson and yeah. his, his robotic zeal. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of which, Mark <laughs> Felt, who later became Deep Throat, played by Gary Cole, who played Kent, Kent Davidson, Davidson in Veep. Who is For he sure. most like on Veep? Kent Davidson. Kent Davidson. Hence the casting. <laughs> okay. All right. Howard Hunt. Dave? He's Selena. He's Selena, I think. He's got to be I Selena. It's, it's that sense of... Once upon a time, maybe they were both good at their jobs. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's mm -hmm. a reason Selena got to be vice president. There's a reason Hunt mm -hmm. got put in charge of the Bay of Pigs. But now it's sort of like it's slipping away from them and that insane desire to 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 
get that last brass ring and just prepared to do anything. And often terrible, but often good at it too. You know, that very sort of Mm -hmm, horrible mix. mm -hmm. And most importantly, obviously, the worst relationship with his children possible. So that's the other thing they have in common. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that the... uh the yes. episode where Selena uses Catherine's marriage mm-hmm. as cover for escaping a country mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a classic Howard Hunt move. <laughs> okay, Selena, you too? You agree, Peter? Oh, yes. 100%. Yeah, uh, John Dean? Probably Jonah. And Dan. Jonah and Dan, again. What do you think, Dave? I kind of like the Jonah of it all, which uh, I'm sure Mr. Dean might not. But at that phase of his life, there, th- I think there's a desire there, too, for him to sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. there's like a, that operator thing or that desire mm-hmm. to be an operator. So that's, that's what jumps out at or me. Or an accidental hero. Yes. Later uh, on. That's later on, though. Yeah. And I will say also the one thing that we took away from reading every single autobiography of the Watergate mm-hmm. era, because everyone wrote a book is uniformly they all hated John Dean. And that is true of Jonah as well. So that makes yeah. sense that yeah. okay. he would be Jonah. I, I would make a case for Dan. It's like that that he was Jonah until the moment he realized he was being recorded and then he became Dan Egan and was like, oh, fuck all you. I'm yeah. not going down. I'm going to outsmart you. And yeah. there's, <laughs> there's something great and lovable in the fact that all of a sudden his vision cleared and he was like, oh, I know what this is about. Right. These fuckers are going to pin it on me. No way. And right. Well, he was smarter than them. He, he was the smartest of yeah. all of them. He was smart. But is there a Sue? <laughs> is there a Sue? Uh, that would have been a, know, uh, uh, Dorothy. St. John. St. John. Fran. <laughs> yeah. Dorothy. I like Fran Capable. a little bit more because I feel like Fran sort of knows what Gordon is and just kind of does her thing, does her thing. Yeah, sorry. Yes, Gordon Liddy's wife, Fran, kind of very aware of what it is, but kind of does her thing and tries not to get too involved. Ask no questions. It is, if Selena's doing something terrible, she's just setting the calls. She's unflappable. (laughs) She's agnostic about Fran really didn't want to know. She was loyal all the way through and she was a very smart, capable woman, but she did not want to know what Gordon was getting into. And by the way, you know, again, sort of strange things to say about Gordon Liddy. They had a mm-hmm. very long, loving marriage. I mean, it's a very, it's a very sort of odd thing, but it credit yeah. where credits due. So you know. So how veep like was Trump from your perspective? Um, I mean, he was sort of the veep wrecker because I always talk about sort of veep before Trump and veep after Trump. And if you think about well, explain that. Well, if you think about what the show was, if you enjoyed the mm-hmm. show and watched the first five seasons of which we were involved with the fifth season, but the first four were done by Mm -hmm. the creator Armando Iannucci and his team in the UK. The show, you know, sort of existed on Selena talking one way publicly, but then secretly talking much fouler privately. Mm -hmm. Trump Mm -hmm. just talks the way he talks the entire time. There's no, Mm -hmm. there's no public and private. She's constantly messing up and having to then basically grovel, apologize and change sort of her direction. Um, Trump gets caught, doesn't care, keeps going, tells you that's bullshit and just keeps. So all of the, if you look at sort of the, the structures of the episodes, they, just they seem outdated. They seem like from a different mm-hmm. era, the before Trump and the after Trump stuff. It just mm-hmm. it changed the very way we had yeah, to tell shameless. stories. He's yeah. The stakes of, of every Veep episode are shame. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if people really find out what's going on? Right. Oh, no, that'll hurt us. As opposed to, I don't give a shit. Right, right. Or I could shoot someone advantage. on Fifth Avenue and it would not hurt my reelection chances. And if I can loop this all around, and I'm not sure I'm going to do it, so sit tight, grab onto your chairs. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think, you know, again, that thing of like, how do we look at Trump? By going back to Watergate and remembering a time when shame actually existed in our politicians and sort of in the world and being able to kind of look through that lens on what's going on right now. This president who's about, who's right now involved in, uh, uh, you know, the, the fraud case, the ongoing rape case. And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, just, you know, where did the founding fathers think about any of this? And obviously we've got Georgia coming up and then also the documents case. It's like, Maybe just a little bit, maybe that we can buy. I think by you left out we, the insurrection case. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I forgot about that. that never happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if we go back, you know, if we can maybe use this show and use Watergate to kind of like re-examine Trump a little bit and remember what shame was, that would be a really great thing. So yeah, I, I think that's that I my... think that's passed. All right, last question, Dave. I'm going to ask you. You're talking about shame. Can you imagine a similar series 50 years from now about? Donald Trump? This is almost 50 50 years, yeah. I I absolutely can imagine it. And in fact, I actually think it's probably, unfortunately, the best way to do it. You know, everybody that's Mm -hmm. trying to do Trump while Trump is still... Trump just, I, I just, they, 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 they're unwatchable because it's just too, it's too fresh and there's no perspective. And I do think, unfortunately, you know, you do need that perspective. Now, I think there's a larger question, which is 50 years from now, uh, when they've destroyed the Writers Guild and AI is writing that show, assuming all that's the case, I do believe 50 years might give us a little perspective where maybe we can start to figure this thing out because I, uh-huh. right now, it's just, I don't know. Ugh. Anyone yes. else? You know, it might be focused because I think in the way that we didn't do it about Nixon, we did it about, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the side characters. I think it would be Rudy, exclamation point. And Rudy. I think it's... Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet in about 40 years is going to be a perfect Rudy Giuliani. It's going to be a great character piece for him. You got all the other characters in there. Rudy with an exclamation point seems like a terrible (laughs) musical is what that seems like. I think it It is one. I feel like... Or a 90s multi-cam sitcom. Drag queens in Provincetown right now working on that. Right? It's a second. (laughs) For the summer. Please please write us care of the show and we'll we'll talk. Yeah, the MyPillow guy, the MyPillow. Yeah, they'll be seem funny, but I'll be like dead. And again, people will say, wait a minute, this didn't really happen. This is cartoonish. Wait a, yes. wait a second. They didn't charge yeah. the Capitol on January 6th. That's insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Four yeah. seasons landscaping with the stuff dripping down the side oh, of his face. Oh, you guys face. are That's... already coming up with jokes. Oh, my God. So many great scenes. So many great scenes. Anyway, I really appreciate it. It's a great series, White House Plumbers, for those who haven't seen it. Uh, it, it really happened. It really did. And at the time, it was terrifying, <laughs> as I recall, as a young person. I really appreciate it. Dave, uh, Alex, and Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. I cannot believe you met Liddy. I did. I did. Say more. I I worked for, um, you know, I covered parties for the Washington Post, and I met him at one of those, but I also worked with his son at the McLaughlin Group, Tom Liddy, mm-hmm. um, who was a big defender of John McLaughlin. I was not. We were on opposite sides of that. 
equation, not a surprise. Shocking. Well, he was he was quite like his father in that regard, like very loyal uh, type of person. So did he like bring his dad to to work day? What happened? No, it was at some event that I was introduced to him, and he was he had the mustache, the whole thing. He was such a cartoon character, um, and you know he like he was so performative. I mean, he'd do very well in the internet age. Um, he was highly performative of. Um, of himself. He knew what he looked like and he had a sense of he had to be sort of, he played a character named G. Gordon Liddy. I think he was kind of larger than life and kind of ridiculous and it worked really well for him for a long time. He's kind of locked into that character till the end of time with this series. Mm-hmm. I love their point about shamelessness today versus the shame after Watergate. That, yeah. That is the key difference. Well, I'm not so sure. Some of them were ashamed and some of them weren't. Um, but I think that he... Uh, I, I think he was not ashamed his whole life. I think he was proud and he, of course, became Liddy. a figure on the right, you know, kind of stuff for many years. Um, but yeah, you're right. These people, you know, some of them went into prison and became prison preachers. Some of them, sorry, John Dean is all over the map on TV now. Um, but Nixon, there was a resignation. There was appropriate, I don't know if appropriate, but there was some rem- what seemed like remorse and some kind of uh, accountability. I guess. I don't think Nixon ever was sorry for what he did. I just don't get the <laughs> sense that he ever apologized. But he knew properly. that he had no future. He knew he got caught. Yeah. Right. He didn't have the future. And now Trump yeah. can come back and run for it. was If Nixon ran for president again right after that, that would be what it would be like. Yeah. But I, I also loved his parallels between Liddy and Hunt and the Giuliani slash MAGA enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Dave almost seemed a little empathetic. He kept saying, well, I'm not I'm not saying I feel sorry for them, but the cost that they've paid or the fact that Trump kind of doesn't love them back. It was interesting to hear him tread that line. Well, I, I think he's right. I think they all are these loyal people to these ridiculous megalomaniacs and malignant narcissists are going to be the ones that pay, not them, that this loyalty is misplaced on some level. The other day we were talking about kind of shows about marriage and how now all of the shows about marriage are kind of about broken marriage, mm-hmm. Fleischman is Trumbull, et cetera. I really like White House Palmers. I love Veep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we don't have West Wing. We don't have aspirational shows about government as much as we used to. They exist on CBS, Madame Secretary. I know, Kara, you love yeah, it. I know. But actually, The Diplomat is. The Diplomat is on Netflix. I think it's quite... It's about service, too. Well, it is about service, but th- 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 she's like a lone horse. There's a lot of ego yeah, but in that's, it, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think so the, was White West Wing, if you really watch it. You know what I mean? There were all kinds of characters. Everybody wasn't so inspirational in that show. But they, he was an inspirational president, and many people in his cabinet and his staff were motivated mm-hmm. by the right things versus, like, one person motivated by public service and a sea of egos. You For know? sure. It, it just seems like, I, I don't know, I love these shows, but I sometimes wonder if, do they help or hurt? Because watching West Wing made me, you know, want to spend time with government, go into government. I don't know that. I don't think we should turn to Hollywood for our cues. I think we should turn to working civically and locally and in government. You know what I mean? Hollywood matters. Stories matter. I guess. But not like this is not where we should be getting our cues from what we think of our government. Unfortunately, we do. Every time I spend time with public officials, um, the good ones, you really do feel good about the government. I 100% agree. And there's so much more confidence. There's a lot of stuff that actually does get done. It just doesn't get covered. It also doesn't get seen. And the noise bl- drowns out some of the good things. And I find many, many politicians very competent and trying very hard 100%. to do the right thing. And so. I have friends who, you know, my age, who've gone into government, who've tried public service. And I think there's a lack of respect socially for it versus kind of other countries or other places and other times um, where being a civil servant 
would have been a very, you know, well-paying and and well yeah. and prestigious job. I don't know that that's any more the case, but alas, it's a very good show. People check it out. HBO, White House Plumbers. I wish we could have gotten into the writer's strike with them. Yeah. Well, but we'll see where that yeah. ends up. Maybe we'll do a show on it. We should do a show on it. I look forward to reading the ChatGPT rendition of the Trump scandal series, though. <laughs> <laughs> Limited series. Yeah. Um, I'm off to actually wrap the guild and pick it with Amina Tussaud right now. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. I hope you write really good placards. That should be I know. Fun. It's such a high bar when you go to the picket. you got to really think about your sign. Because that's going to make the difference. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, do you have a sign for me? No. Do not. Leave it to you. Leave it to you, writers. <laughs> All right. Can you read us out, please? Yes. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rosell, and Megan Burney. Special thanks to Mary Mathis. Aaliyah Jackson engineered this episode. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get to see Timothy Chalamet play Rudy Giuliani in 50 years. If not, you have to see Rudy the Musical. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Monday with more. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.